I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 38. The only podcast for brokers, by brokers. I Love Mortgage Brokering will inspire you to up your mortgage business. Join your host, Scott Peckford. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Callum Ross. Callum is a mortgage broker with Verico, based out of Toronto. He's been a mortgage broker for 10 years. Um, he's also a black belt in Shotokan Karate and still manages to fund over $100 million per year. As one friend said, Callum is like Captain America. I'm absolutely stoked for this interview today. Callum, are you ready to rock? You bet. Always ready to rock. Awesome. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. The um, Well, I'm a, um, I guess, uh, actually, it's more than me, over 13 years in the mortgage business now, so... Uh, entered the mortgage business full time in 2000. The, uh, so, getting on in the years in terms of experience, the, uh, I started out my original days with the uh, mortgage intelligence, uh, then moved over to Mortgage Center, um, and then before Mortgage Center was uh, for sale, which I knew was coming down, I moved over to Verico uh, three years ago and uh, been very happy with the experience. The, uh, I'm a father of two great girls, uh, Abigail and Alexis, divorced dad of two great girls, so being a good dad is incredibly important to me. Um, I've got six and ten-year-old, and I'm a pretty hardcore fitness and martial arts enthusiast. I think that uh, maintaining a healthy lifestyle and uh, being focused on professional development is a very big component of being able to stay at the top of your game. In, whether, yeah, in mortgages or martial arts. And so how did you end up in the mortgage business? Because no one starts as a child and says when they're in kindergarten, when I grow up, I want to be a mortgage broker. So how, what was your path to 13 years ago to getting into the broker business? Well, I think that at the time I was doing my uh, my MBA and it was sponsored by the bank and I was a management training program. Um, and I was, you know, starting to get the sense that the uh, bank management and being a bank executive, which is what I wanted to be when I was a kid, as nerdy as it sounds, uh, that was after I gave up the idea of wanting to be a rock star or race car driver. So there was some progression. That's awesome. The, um, but I think that the um, what happened was um, I was uh, overseeing the acquisition side of Bank Montreal and got exposed to uh, First Bank Direct. Uh, Vince Gaitano at the time was running it. Um, and uh, we're looking at the numbers there, and they said, you know, uh, what's this cost line at them? And people were like, well, that's what the, uh, you know, the mortgage, independent mortgage people got paid. Now, at the time, I was overseeing the mortgage switch campaign in the marketing department by the Bank of Montreal, bringing in 300 mortgages a month uh, in the marketing program that I was doing. And I sat back and looked at the numbers and thought, wow, if I was bringing in 300 mortgages a month in a year, um, I'd be doing a lot better than I was in the management training program of a bank. Um, so I think it was a combination of that. And then, you know, my professor in business school said, you know, most businesses actually don't actually invent anything new or come up with a new concept. All they do is take an existing service or product and do it better than anyone else. At that point, I believe there was a lot more people needed debt advice than investment advice, and I was really being groomed for an investment management position. Um, and uh, the combination of that and the idea that you know the mortgage broker channel in the U.S. had much bigger market share, um, I made the leap of faith, and uh, you know, fortunately, had some good success right out of the gate. That's awesome. And I'm going to circle back. There's some questions I want to ask about growth because I know that you've had some pretty phenomenal growth, but I'm going to come back to that in a bit. So before we dive into your story, I'd like to ask about a success quote that's really impacted your life or business. Uh, something that's what the, uh, like a, a quote so I find for me quotes are a way to distill an idea or a concept down into something that's portable you can take it with you, it, you can, it's memorable uh, so can you share a quote that's really impacted you yeah, I mean, for one, that's the uh, I'm I'm a, a, a motivation and quote junkie, so picking one will be a challenge. Uh, but I would have to say that success is never final, failure is never fatal, uh, is one of the things that um, I do. And there's a quote that I keep on my desk uh, that's the uh, ingrained in a in a tile that says, "Persistence. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not." 
unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone will bring success. So um, surrounding myself with that type of ideology is very key to me. Right. That's really good. And so how have you applied that specifically? Like that persistence quote, which is fantastic. Who said that quote, by the way? Uh, Calvin Coolidge was one of the people who was originally quoted with it, but I've heard a lot of people being claimed. It's hard online actually to figure out who said anything because it seems like a lot of people get credit for quotes that belong to other people. So that quote, though, on persistence, how have you applied the, that principle to, uh, to your business? Well, I mean, I think more than anything else, people need to realize, I think there's this underlying presumption, you know, assumption that, you know, within five years of being in the mortgage business, my second year, I did like, you know, 300 mortgages. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, I've had some really rough years. Um, and I think that sometimes people have this preconceived notion when they're first starting out. It's that, you know, people who are decent producers have got it all figured out. And I got to tell you, I mean, I have some real rough days too, where every other client's a rate shopper and client gets to one week before closing and they cancel the file on me and, or I miss, uh, you know, something on a credit report that I should have caught. Um, so I think that it's about, you know, celebrating your successes, but then realizing that, you know, the, uh, we're not above failure and, uh, and it's really, you know, it's not been my, my schooling. It hasn't been my network. It hasn't been my, um, contacts. The thing that I would say that single-handedly determines the, uh, success in most business people is that, you know, they get up one more time when other people get knocked down. Um, the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person in my belief is largely a function of persistence. That's fantastic advice. And can you, um, another thing I like to talk about is failure. I know that for me, I have made failures as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, but looking back, there's always a lesson in it. So can you share something that you had failed at, but now that you look back, the lesson that you learned in it? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you both personally and professionally, I mean, the I failed at marriage would be one. The, uh, in that case, it was really meeting someone that was the not a good fit the uh, early in life. But I mean, um, I've got more you know, failures to note that I have successes. I launched entire programs around, you know, executive relocations that cost, you know, $30,000 to launch and never got a deal out of it. Uh, I did alliances with the uh, companies for financial planning stuff that never panned out. Um, so, I mean, I think that people need to realize that uh, the vast majority of people who do large amounts of business um, have actually probably had more failures than anyone else. The, uh, it's really not about worrying about your failures. Um, my perspective is that I don't fail anything. I just sometimes pay very large tuition checks to learn lessons. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I've noticed that successful brokers, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, have systems and processes. And so they have a system and a process, and they're willing to tweak them in order to get a better result. So can you share an example of a specific administrative process in your office, maybe that wasn't working as well as you would have liked, and then an adjustment you made and the outcome you got? Yeah, I mean, first I would say that there's no system I have today that's working exactly the way I'd like it to like to work. Um, so I think that, you know, people talk about uh, when they come on a team, like, wow, you spend a lot of time on process. I'm like, they sometimes will go over, you know, lead follow up and go over it over and over again. Like the, um, and they're like, I'm getting bored of this. And I'm thinking, well, imagine when you're year 14 and you're doing this. Um, so it's about, you never quite arrive. If you think that you've arrived, you're in problem because you're, you know, basically at the top of your game from there, you've always got more room to improve. But for me, it's about systematically understanding, um, when a lead comes in, you know, who is it referred by? Because you always want to honor your key referral sources. And that means your, you know, your key referral sources that are external, um, your existing clients. And you always want to make sure that you honor the people that are supporting your business. The other thing, too, is that what that allows you to do is channel your efforts towards your highest and most valuable clients. The second thing I would say that's so critical 
is you cannot be all things to all things to all people. I would say that the by far the most important thing is that you know knowing the uh, knowing who you can't serve. Um, so, for instance, me, I don't do commercial deals. I don't do private deals. The uh, I don't do hard to place deals. The uh, I don't do discharge. The I don't do discharge bankruptcy uh, that have a year out. I mean, I've got a very specific knowing what you what you will do and what you won't do, um, because so many times mortgage people get caught up um, the uh, chasing down deals that there's nothing to be had there. Um, and you can't be all things to all people. So you've got to focus on the things you're naturally gifted at, whether it be because your communication style, your education, or your background, um, and then focus on being very good on those things as opposed to spreading yourself too thin and being mediocre at many areas. So uh, that brings up a great point. So when you, you said you don't do commercial, you don't do private. So what do you do? So obviously, sometimes that comes, maybe not as often now that you've really probably refined your process, but it probably does come up. So what do you do with those types of leads when they do come up? The, um, you know, it's funny because I don't even usually refer them out um, because so many times that referral out becomes an extension of my team and I can't preserve the customer service process. Um, so my perspective is that, that that lead wouldn't even typically come to me because the person came in unless it was referred off a key relationship, in which case I'd call them back myself. But otherwise, the, our office would be like, I'm sorry, we don't help with those types of transactions. Um, and the, um, so this, we just ended really early in the process. Um, now, if it's coming off a key referral source or a key client, at the very least, I'll try to point them in touch with some people um, and or some areas where they can get some resources on it. Right. That's great. And so then on the sales, uh, I also noticed that successful brokers have sales processes. They don't just show up and hope for the best. And so they're also willing to adjust those sales process to meet sort of what's going on in the market and the current, you know, sort of what's, what's interesting to people in the market. So can you share an example of a sales process that maybe wasn't working as well as it was and adjustment you made and the outcome you got? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, um, we have to be mindful of the fact, and this is really where a sales process, what it needs to do um, is it needs to support efficiency with your own team um, so that you can add as much value as possible. And what I try to do with my sales process, keep in mind I have a business school background, so I probably use a little too much jargon, but you want to standardize the ordinary and manage the extraordinary. So what I mean by that is that if you're going through a client process, I don't want to spend time on the phone with you talking about the uh, difference between a, an annual lump sum prepayment and the ability to increase payments. We can have that fulfilled by administration or an FAQ, frequently asked question, or our website. So I really want to make sure that I'm focusing on my sales process all the time to understand uh, which things the, um, are not clear to clients and what we can do to improve on them. And I think probably the biggest mistake that most people make in sales process, and this is one that I do all the time, is that we have this preconceived notion, we think like mortgage people, we don't think like mortgage consumers. And so it's important that we dumb it down so the client on the other end understands it and being able to survey them independently. So surveying them, you know, did you find this was clear? If so, the, uh, how would you rate it? But getting that third-party feedback, independent feedback from clients, because it's not about you and I believing that the client had a good process uh, or a good customer service experience. It's about the client telling us that in feedback. And so being always mindful of the fact that our process has never arrived and making sure that we're always getting the feedback from clients. So for instance, I work with a lot of real estate investors and high-income professionals. So taking a lot of time to make sure they understand how income is treated from rental properties, uh, making sure that they understand the differences for high net worth programs and principal residence versus a, an investment property um, would be something that we have uh, refined and refined over and over again. Um, tax documents are another one that causes clients a lot of grief. 
I think that we have been revising tax documents every time Canada Revenue Agency was formerly Canada Customs and Revenue Agency to, you know, the way that a notice of assessment comes back to how they can get their notice of assessment if they've lost it. Um, it seems like clarifying income documents is a never-ending process from our end. And so you had said that you, one of the things you just mentioned was survey them independently. So how do you specifically do that? Do you, is that someone else doing that for your company? Is that someone in your company that reaches out to them post-funding or what, how are you figuring out sort of the, you know, um, how, you, how are you learning from the, those clients that you're working with? So I've done it two ways. Typically it's a, uh, well, it's a, most of the results have come from a, a third party um, uh, survey. So right now we're using SurveyMonkey. The, uh, in the past, I'd used for years Mortgage Center's closing survey. Um, and I think that the um, uh, keeping it simple and encouraging them to get response um, is really critical because the uh, people are getting inundated by emails. So making sure that you let the client know during the process, it's really important that we get your feedback in terms of how to improve and even incenting them if you need to, if you're not getting a high enough participation rate. And there are points when I think our service has gone down. And during those times, they, um, on a few occasions now, they actually five occasions, I paid a third-party research company to get a number of my top referral sources and clients into a room where I'm not there and ask them questions about how we can improve. Uh, and that'd be a format where they'd get like, you know, a dinner and they get paid for their time so we can get them to be um, more mindful in terms of the feedback they get. Now, I would suggest that you don't want to be doing those things on a quarterly basis, but if you've got a major change in market conditions, invest in some money to really understand what your clients believe about your service. And the difference would be the data that we would get when we'd actually pay for them to come, as well as the uh, paying for dinner, is that the people are much more mindful in terms of um, thinking through the process and their feedback tends to be uh, a lot more specific with you know very clear actionable items that we can use to improve the customer service process. Right. That probably came from your business school training to think about going out and, and just drilling down with what the customers are experiencing and then trying to take it back and reapply the lessons to your business. Yeah. And the other thing too is that the, um, I've, I've always been really mindful. I'm a tenacious learner. Um, so, you know, my house when I was growing up as a kid, uh, it was real clear. One of my core elements I grew up with was that my mom was sort of like, well, if you get good grades, you're going to have a lot of leash and a lot of freedom. If you're not getting good grades, you don't have a lot of leash and freedom. So, you know, being um, more studious than I perhaps would choose to, um, but trying to understand the best practices of the, you know, the different uh, service and marketing companies out there and the books that they come to the market. Um, because as mortgage people, we don't have access to the type of deep research budgets the big banks have. So we want to be able to leverage off the wisdom of people who are writing books and have really good understanding of it. And so, you know, things like the um, uh, the various books out there for marketing and customer service, and whether it be Ken Blanchard or um, some of the other organizations that have focused on studying that, but leveraging that as much as possible uh, and applying it in our business principles is really important because. Um, you know, going back to business school is not a realistic alternative for most people, but there's tons of great research out there that we can piggyback off of the, the marketing and sales gurus of the world that we can use to improve the way we do business. Right. You don't, you don't, you can let someone else do the work for you. So I want to come back to something you'd mentioned earlier about the, that you'd kind of gone to from zero to 300 loans pretty quick. So about managing growth. So how do you, if you're, let's say you're a guy or a girl and you're at the you know, $50 million mark and you want to push to the $100 million mark, obviously it's going to require a team. And so how did you, how would, how would you recommend somebody, like who do they hire first and what, because you have the customer, the client care specialist, you have the underwriters. So what, what sort of process would you put in place as you're trying to ramp up your business? Um, so, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's much a function about what you're really good at, um, as well as the, um, the high value added things you can hand off. So in my case, 
I could fake being good at administration, but it wasn't my gifted zone. So, for instance, the uh, lead follow-up, prepping an application is something that you can outsource, you know, the, um, the underwriting component. Um, but you never want to outsource your key competencies. So, you know, managing your referral sources and clients and making sure you're having value-added conversations with them. Um, there's a couple of good programs that exist that I swiped and adapted, and they're much more evolved today than they were when I first got in the mortgage business. The mistake that I made early is that every time I started to do more business, I just hired another body. Um, so, you know, my third and a, three and a half years in the business, I had eight people on my team and I was doing less business than I do today. Um, so it's like the, um, you want to be very clear about the, um, how quickly you can bring people on. The truth is I didn't do that very well. Uh, I brought a lot of people on the team who shouldn't be on and you learn a lot about hiring along the way. Um, you know, being a, naturally a salesperson as much as I'm a closet Kwan's geek, uh, the reality is I pretty much love everyone. Um, you know, I could meet someone in Kingston Penn who killed off, you know, their entire village and I would find a reason to like that guy by the end of the day. Um, so I tend to be a very bad hirer for that reason because I see what people are capable of as opposed to what they are. Um, so using your systems and procedures from established expertise, like places like the core, uh, who I'm coached by now, uh, Todd Duncan, who I've referred a lot of the, uh, my, his resources and used many of them along the years. Um, you know, this is not one of those things that you want to create the wheel on. Um, they're very, very established, top-producing mortgage firms and mortgage advisor people, um, mostly U.S.-based. I don't know anyone in Canada who's really shown how to do this. Um, that you can swipe and adapt for a pretty low cost, and that way you don't have to spend the, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars I wasted in the uh, making bad hiring decisions and screwing up along the way. Right. No, that's great advice. So basically, uh, duplicate, don't innovate. Don't think you need to just sit there and try to come up with this all on your own. Just find somebody that's already done it and duplicate it with, within your business and, and adapt it to your gifting. That's exactly what I would say is that the way that I like to paraphrase it is that the wheel has already been invented in this industry. Just find the wheel that fits for your vehicle. I think in the early days, because I was in business school mindset, and I've always tested reasonably well academically, I tried to outsmart people, and that was just not a very good strategy. There's uh, people, whether they're smarter than me or not, who have mastered this process, and just taking their process and applying it is a much better uh, way to improve efficiently than it is trying to recreate it yourself. Right. And I, I'm just going to switch gears a little bit and talk about diversifying income. So I've been talking to a lot of mortgage brokers about this idea of diversifying income. There seems to be two camps in my mind. One camp says, yes, you need to diversify, get share of wallet. Another camp says, no, just focus on mortgage brokering. I just wanted to know where you fall in there. And if you are diversifying, what area you're focusing on? Yeah, I mean, for me, because of the segment that I look after, the uh, we have a disproportionately high number of high income, high net worth individuals. Um, so, you know, our average household income of clients is a, uh, more than $200,000. Um, and we have a, a lot of uh, clients with a considerable net worth. So it's natural for us to go into the estate planning and the uh, financial planning piece. Um, I've made a few attempts at this. I haven't done it that successfully yet. Um, but the other thing, too, is that I think there's as much as there's two camps. It's like, you know, there might be a camp that says, hey, you know, you're a really good basketball player and you're tall, you should try out for the NBA as well and they're different seasons or whatever. Um, what I would point out is that it's also about your core abilities, right? So, you know, if you're someone who is specializing in non-conforming loans, um, you can't simultaneously put on your website, hey, if you've got Bruce credit, no income, and new to Canada, come talk to me. And on the other side of your website, go, if you're a high-income, high-net-worth individual, I'll click here. Right. Um, 
So a, uh, if you're not naturally wired towards adding value to clients and you don't have some form of financial planning education, I think people trying to diversify their income when they don't understand the basic principles of personal finance um, are over-exaggerating their opinion of themselves. Right. That's very good. And so uh, next question is, how do you balance your business, your business, your you know, uh, activities that you do outside of it and family? So what's your advice for managing that? Um, for me, the, um, I think that the, uh, the biggest priority is the, uh, my daughters. Again, you know, being a divorced a, uh, guy with the uh, two relatively young daughters, um, you know, my, my health and my daughters come first. The, uh, so I put that in my calendar um, and uh, make sure that's tight. Um, but it's about really going through, and there's always that example of the college professor where he says, you know, puts all the jar on the on the desk and says, you know, how many these big rocks can I put in? And he puts the last big rock, and then he says, is it full? And he um, and he says, the uh, everyone says yes, and he says, well, wait one second, and he starts filling it with smaller rocks, and of course they fall between the the bigger rocks, and then he says, well, is it full? And of course the class is now starting to catch on to it, say maybe yes, maybe no, and then he does pebbles. The next thing you know, he does sand, and then after that, he does water. And the ideology they talk about is that, you know, that jar in many ways is like our life. If we don't take care of the big rocks and put those in our calendar first, I haven't had a week where I'm like at the end of the week go, hey, wow, now I should put that time in place to revise processes. The, uh, or, you know, now I should probably call my mom because I love her and I should tell her more. So if it's one of those things that's important, I would suggest that you put the same measures on your personal life as you do around your business and you try to objectify it. So I've got a scorecard that I keep myself with the, uh, that it's like, you know, the, uh, where I'm, you know, have I, have I done this many hours with my daughters in a week? You know, have I sent out X number of thank you notes? You know, have I called my mom? My mom and dad are still very close in the, uh, important relationships to me. And also, you know, the, um, being mindful of the, uh, giving our best to our best. Uh, one of the things that people forget all the time is that, you know, in my case, the uh, people on my team play a very important role in my success. And it's not about, you know, as much as I do rainmaking and public speaking, but I didn't have people like Christy and Jennifer and the uh, people who support me in the back end, um, you know, it'd be very, very difficult for me to preserve my professional reputation. So being mindful of also supporting your team members and your top referral sources and spend less time on the reactive files and all of a sudden your life will get a lot more spare time. Right. No, that's great advice. So now I'm going to move to the rapid fire questions. You can answer these with shorter answers if you like. What is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Themselves and planning. And what is the one thing or habit that's made you successful? Me, um, myself and planning. <laughs> and then do you have an internet resource or software program that you use that makes your business more successful? Um, yeah, the uh, mortgage planner CRM is a great one. Um, the, uh, all the brokerage firms have them, but the best software program is like the best gym. You know, the best gym to belong is it the best gym to belong to is the one you go to the one you go to yeah. the, uh, the best, the best, the best CRM system you, the, that you can own is the one you use. What people get is they get distracted by the little bells and whistles everywhere. They think that they jump ship as salespeople are way too impulsive. Stick to a program, master it. Once you've mastered it and you can say with certainty that you've taken it to the 10th level, then and only then consider making another change. But don't be a salesperson and stop jumping around. Mm -hmm. That's awesome advice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Mm, that would be a tough one. The, uh, I still think everything in our business, uh, to me, uh, focuses around service. Now, I realize that's very different than the, the price-based model. 
Uh, but to me, Raving Fans is always a good one. Legendary Service by Blanchard. Um, those are really simple books that give palatable plans. If it was around building your mortgage business, I still think High Trust Selling by Todd Duncan is the uh, real tough book to uh, get away from. And if it's about building a team, I'd have to say the Core's book on how to become a million-dollar mortgage originator uh, is incredibly useful. Okay, that's awesome. And where do you think our industry is headed? Where's the opportunity? Um, you know, I think the opportunity is the, uh, really around segments. Uh, it comes down to, again, can't be all things to all people. Um, I point blank will not compete on the rate space. Um, but I think people need to realize there's always going to be a space for people who need advice. You know, the, uh, for a long time we got confused because we had both a rate advantage as well as a, an advice advantage. And I think that right now they're breaking into two camps. I think there's money to be made in both but you need to pick which camp you're in. You can't simultaneously be in the advice business with the nice paid assistants who are really competent and do nice value-added marketing pieces and touch points the way I do and buy down rates by 15 basis points. There's the two worlds can't coexist. So I think decide which camp you're in, and if you're in the advice business, then you need to be more and more purposeful about the segments that you service. Right, that's awesome advice. And so here's the last question. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's the DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Yes, I do. And so if you could jump into the DeLorean and I could set the time on it for 13 years ago to your first day as a mortgage broker. And the goal is you could go back and visit yourself and give yourself three pieces of advice so that you'd have a bigger, more successful business today. What three things would you tell yourself? And the unfortunate thing is if I went back to my 26-year-old self, I would have been too cocky and arrogant to listen to myself. So the, uh, if I were to be a DeLorean, I'd probably go back the last five years where I slowly started to take feet back and grew up a little bit. The, uh, but the three things I would tell myself would be swipe and adapt, don't try to have smart, the, uh, make sure you're very purposeful about the company you keep, and that relies both on the personal and the professional fund. Mm -hmm. And finally, Callum, don't hire people. You love everyone. Stop hiring people and let other people take you through the process. Right. So you, currently, do you have somebody, like if you do need to hire, do you use a company to help you with it? I'm, I won't intervene in a... Uh, in a, a uh, a hiring process until they're in the third round the, uh, because they uh, just uh, will make bad decisions out of it. So we use personality profiles, screening, um, and then we use third-party validation as well as people on the team interview them before they meet me, yeah. Right, dude, that's awesome. So I have absolutely loved this interview today. There's so much value in it. How can people find you online? Um, so you can reach me, uh, follow me on Twitter. I always try to give value-added things that people uh, in the mortgage industry and the consumers. That's uh, at Callum Ross TO. Uh, you can like my uh, Facebook page or you can creep on it, whatever you like, the uh, Callum Ross Mortgage. Uh, you can reach out on LinkedIn. The, um, obviously, you know, if we don't know each other, I don't always let people completely in my network. Um, but even too, I mean, if people got really specific questions, uh, I can't field all of them, but uh, I like to help the industry. And if there's the uh, stuff that people do, uh, they can also reach me directly, Callum at CallumRoss.com. Um, you know, the, uh, I'm passionate about the value that we bring as the uh, mortgage advisors, and I think that the top people make a meaningful difference to consumers in the marketplace and the only thing I would encourage more people to do is you know pursue excellence because uh, there's so many people that are mortgage people that I meet day in and day out that I know could do way more volume than me um, and they just haven't cleared their plate and got rid of some of the junk that you know competes with their personal professional life out of the way and, uh, and I think it's a shame that more people don't uh, achieve what they're capable of instead of what they're doing. Awesome well Callum this has been an awesome interview I hope you rock the rest of your year and uh, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thanks so much. The only podcast for brokers by brokers. I Love Mortgage Brokering will inspire you to up your mortgage business. Join your host, Scott Peckford.
Hi, Broker Nation. If you enjoyed this interview, please take a minute, visit iTunes, and rate this podcast. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next month. Okay, that's not true, but I would really appreciate it. Also, I want to invite you to join me on a quest. After every episode, I personally take five minutes and think about one thing or one idea I can use to improve my mortgage business. I encourage you to do the same. Over the next 12 months, I plan to do 100 interviews and make 100 improvements. I'm going to track these to see how they impact my business and, more importantly, my bottom line. Visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com and post in the show notes what one thing you plan to do differently after listening to this interview and check out what other brokers are sharing. Also, if you'd like to connect with me, fire me an email at scott at robyourbank.com. I love hearing from passionate mortgage professionals who are interested in improving their business. Until next time, rock on.